feel free to pirate this show. Go ahead and donate anyway, because we're good for it. It's time to get grumpy. Welcome to episode number 36 of Grumpy Old Benz. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where it's not snowing, so it's a win. And from America's left coast, where the illicit bits flow like wine and information wants to be free, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Ah, the illicit bits. That's right. We're talking about piracy today in all of its forms, and it's become a lot easier due to those illicit bits. I mean, let's think about it. When piracy first started, people actually had to create physical copies of things. So they actually had to do work in order to pirate things. Back in the day, that used to be big. You'd go to a big city, uh, especially over in China or even here in the United States. New York was known to be a hotbed. You'd go down on the street and you'd be able to pick up a DVD of that latest movie that just hit the theater because, you know, the night before, Somebody took a video camera into a theater and recorded the movie and burned it onto a DVD and then was selling it on the street. But that was commerce. That was good. People were actually working for a living. But now uh, let's face it. When when piracy first started, uh, it was called a cover because you didn't have the ability to make copies of things. You just go perform the same show again or the same music. Unless you were talking about written down things, because then you could actually go. When you go yeah. back into history, it's interesting well, it when was the, just called a you realize well, the original Bibles where there was like a bunch of monks sitting somewhere in a monastery copying the text. And so if, some, if, one, if one of these guys made a mistake, you know, obviously they weren't pirating that content because they were supposed to be doing that. But think about the technology and think about how bad things got when you took that copy that this guy made from another copy and missed a word here and there. If you were doing that like three or four uh, generations of that, the end result could be very different than the first. It would, but obviously, uh, it would get uh, confusing. piracy isn't very interesting in the age where there's no copyright law. You, uh, I, I, I know. Yeah, I should have probably looked this up. When did copyright law start? Because that that would be the start of piracy. It couldn't have possibly, you know. And we're talking digital piracy, not piracy out on the high seas here. Uh, I was going to make that joke, but I figured that might be in bad taste since people actually die when it comes to the uh, Somali well, also, pirates. Also, and stuff that's like far that. older than copyright law, but it that is you. You couldn't have the you know we're we're talking the kind of piracy where you copy uh, some kind of uh, creative work without permission, and that wasn't really possible until until there were laws that said you shouldn't do that. Well, that makes sense because otherwise it was all open and it was all free, mainly because there was no way to reproduce things, nor was there a way, like you said, if you were Shakespeare and you wrote a play and somebody got uh, their, had their hands on a copy of it and was performing it even 30, 40 miles away, I mean, could be thousands of miles away. How would you know? How would you get compensation? The system was certainly not set up for that. Until technology caught up, and obviously now technology has caught up to the point to where piracy is 
a much different beast than it was when people were actually making the pirated tapes, the pirated CDs, the pirated DVDs, because the digital, the digital thing, the whether you're downloading it from a website, whether you're getting it from a friend, it doesn't matter how this stuff is being transferred. It's the same thing, whether you log into a site like the Pirate Bay, whether you go to a site um, or a app like the uh, Napster was back in the day. Same exact law being broken as if your buddy says, hey, I just got the latest Taylor Swift album. Do you want a copy? It's the same thing going on. It's just a hell of a lot easier. And the technology has made it uh, so easy to pirate music, movies, books, especially. I mean, that's the interesting thing. It's like, okay, if you want to, we were having a conversation in the No Agenda troll room yesterday. And if you're not in the troll room, noagendastream.com, you can join us. We do this live show. A lot of live shows always going on on the stream. But we were talking about um, these different things. And the concept of the piracy, where you could just go log in, get whatever you want. It was a, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Where was I going with this? Uh, I think you were about to justify how it was that uh, you back on show number four, you gave me all kinds of shit for uh, saying that copyrights were too long and needed to be shorter because uh, in, in your words, uh, the creators deserved to be uh, compensated for what they created. Um, well, they do. Okay. But that's not, that does nothing to do with the, the way piracy is working. Well, except that, that theoretically you're denying the creator access to their, their works. Well, to, to royalties for their works. I mean, if you are not paying for a song, um, how, how is that not denying the creator royalties for something they created? Well, it certainly is, but there's a difference between whether the con- how the long the copyright laws should be and the actual mechanism of piracy. And then there is a difference too with the uh, with between piracy and bootlegging, which is piracy is a copy of an actual work, meaning if you got the latest Taylor Swift album and you made a copy of that on CD and gave it to somebody that was piracy. If you went to a Taylor Swift concert and recorded the show, whether you were using your own little rig and your own microphones or you plugged into the soundboard, that was a bootleg because it was something that was never going to be released on its own. Yeah, but so I hate to are, break it to you. That that's still copyrighted. That that well, performance is. is under copyright and uh if if people have the right to uh it, if people have the right to control what happens with the copies of creative works that they create, then they absolutely have the right to not release it. And if you are bootlegging something, um, you are violating their right to create a performance that they decide not to release. And I remember where I was going with that whole thing, okay, which good. we're talking about books was heard in the troll room. We were talking about, the having your own network attached storage, these big devices with loaded up with hard drives and that. And I was basically saying, you know, I'm my own Netflix, you know, this, there's no reason to subscribe to Netflix. You could be your own Netflix. You get everything you want. You get the content, you store it locally. You never have to worry that Netflix or Hulu is going to drop Seinfeld or whatever it is. You have the copies yourself. 
Whether you actually buy the discs and rip them yourself or get them illegally doesn't really matter. But I was talking about the size needed. And that comes down to books are the easiest thing in the world to pirate because it is the smallest file size, obviously, when you compare that to audio or video content, which is why when we talked about the Internet of Things with the Amazon Kindle having a built-in cellular modem that you weren't paying for that was just included with their price, Amazon was paying for that cell service to get you these books when you weren't on a Wi-Fi signal. That was possible because books are very, very small file sizes. And when you have these devices now, back in the day, hard drive space was not cheap and it was not plentiful. I mean, we're both old enough. And as JCD, John C. Dvorak says, we're not that old. We remember when a hard drive it was a big deal. I remember my, my very first, distinctly. My first hard drive when, was uh, 25 megabytes. Yeah, and now I remember Me- when the bulletin board. Yes, megabytes. I the the Ripco BBS here in Chicago, which was one of the big uh, bulletin board systems back in the day. I remember when the dude was excited about getting a ten megabyte hard drive to store the text files. And you think about that now, and you think about the amount of space that is in the phone that everybody's carrying around, the amount of space that you can get on a USB stick or on a little SD card. It's amazing how much content that you can now store locally, which means it becomes way easier to pass these things around. And with high-speed internet, it's much easier to transfer this stuff back and forth at high rates of speed, which for me, I remember we talked about a little bit before the show, you were telling me that you were really big into the Napster and LimeWire thing, which I wasn't because I've always been an audiophile. So I thought MP3 sucked. And that was at a point where if I wanted well, they, the music, they did I wouldn't then. download it. Yeah, <laughs> they really and I did wouldn't download then. it. That was also when, uh, you know, the, the, the Napster period happened to ha- uh, occur when I was in college. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, going going back, I I did I certainly did my share of uh, BBS piracy. Uh, that was, I mean, that was as far as I was concerned, that was what BBSs were for was getting copies of shit, uh, whether you paid for them or not. And I usually didn't. Uh, but uh, in college was really where all of the piracy, all of the uh, uh, acquiring things happened in for me. Um, you know, actually before Napster. Uh, was was the greatest time for uh, piracy. In fact, it was uh, um, so everybody was running Windows ninety eight, and this was back when before uh, security was really a thing. So everybody, <laughs> here, okay, here's the situation: everybody brings their computer from home, they plug into the university network. You have twenty thousand people, twenty thousand computers, all of which have default Windows shit file sharing settings which means if you knew you could go through the network and go into the hard drive of any computer out there and there were people with some really really extensive collections of music so that is actually how i got most of my music that and uh as as a member of the fraternity you know everybody basically every cd that came out uh there were as was at least one copy available so we designated a uh, particularly fast computer, uh, which at the time was probably, you know, something like uh, 
uh, 200 megahertz uh, for uh, ripping. And you, uh, this, this was back when ripping a CD track would take 45 minutes per track. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's to rip at say 120 kilobits, which, which you're absolutely right is uh, compared to CD audio was just terrible. Uh, the, but, but we needed these tracks and what we ended up having was, uh, you know, we did the digital DJ thing and we ended up piping it into on, uh, you know, some big six foot tall stacks of speakers into a room that, that, that was about five times larger than the speakers we needed, but who cares? We had them, uh, and piping the music over a bunch of drunk people. So nobody really cared that much because they were too busy trying to get laid and the music was just background anyway. However, well, that makes sense. All of this, uh, got. So that that was my method was we we found MP3 files on people's hard drive. A lot of people would just have on on their computer. They'd have uh, one folder that said all of my music. And so we'd go and find that and just thrash the crap out of their hard drive to download everything they had. But then Napster came along and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. This this you know, you just have MP3s everywhere. Um, I think. I probably on a hard drive that, that I'm, I'm sure I've lost somewhere. I probably had every song that came out from 1994 through 1999, like every single song because, <laughs> because it was, you know, it was the, the novelty of, of just let's have it. Let's <laughs> yeah. The hoarder mentality. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, I realized, okay, first of all, uh, you know, the, most of these suck. The The law that I've come to know later as Sturgeon's law, 90% of everything is shit. Uh, and, and secondly, I don't even listen to music anymore. So like I said, that, that somewhere along the line, new computers transfers. I think that music collection never really made it. Probably. I mean, I have fine. over eight terabytes of non life concert uh, music, which is of course all lossless, which is all flack or all high definition. Now the higher res files. So, you know, I listen to a lot of music. We do the rock and roll pre-show before No Agenda, two hours before every No Agenda show on the No Agenda stream. So we put that music to good use. But I am a music. It's one of the things that I've always really liked. Munich music connoisseur with the MP3s didn't do it for me. So I was a vast music buyer up until the point that music became readily available to download from piracy sites in FLAC, which is the uncompressed format for those who don't follow these kind of things. FLAC is basically a way to compress file sizes without losing any quality. So you can revert that back to a normal full WAV file, which would go on people are familiar with on CDs. But I wanted the full quality to the music. So I didn't partake in the piracy, which is one of the things when you're talking about piracy is the quality of the finished product. A lot of people will watch movies from guys that go in, like I said, with a video camera into a theater and record the movie. And there's a lot of people and that's fine for them. It's like, well, I could see what's going on. I can hear, okay, the picture kind of yeah. sucks. It's a little bit blurry, but if I can tell what's is, going on. If all you want is the dialogue and the, and, and to get the gist of what's going on, that's good enough. And for a lot of people, it is. For me, it's not. I can't enjoy something like that if the quality sucks. I'll wait for a better version. But of course, when that better version comes out, then that is 
the the switch again that gets flipped with well you want to balance this stuff for somebody that likes to consume as much music as i do it becomes uh price prohibitive to buy absolutely everything that you want it's something where if you see some of these bands that put out the beatles have done it uh, kiss has done it uh, where they put out these big box sets or they put out their archive of work the uh the band kiss at one point put out a like a career retrospective that i forget how many thousand dollars it was maybe it was like 2500 bucks and if you were in the area gene simmons would bring it to your door so i mean they were charging enough money for these sets and you know that's where i start going okay i want to opt out of this a little bit and everything we're going to talk about uh, when it comes to piracy and what ryan or i might or might not have done let's just assume that allegedly is in the word goes yes, before yeah. everything we're going to talk about I, because- I'm, I'm certain that podcasts are not uh, anecdotes on podcasts are not admissible in court let's hope yeah one would certainly hope this is all for pure entertainment you know, value but that the- is when the the quality issue came up and it's like okay now it's amazing to me that there are sites that have the latest music within either hours of its release sometimes before and not just the major label so i have no idea where these guys source this stuff from i'd love to know how they're doing it but there is, you know, there was one guy played a bunch on the No Agenda pre-streams. He's a uh, local Chicago guy named Ralph Covert. He had a band called The Bad Examples back when I was in college, and they were never big. I mean, it's just a very small ind- a label that he runs called Water Dog Records. And when his latest album dropped a few months ago, it was on the site that I use mainly for music before it was actually released. So I have no idea how they're sourcing this stuff. But there is no doubt there is big business in bootlegs that are out there, in piracy that is out there. And it's the quality. If you can get the exact quality that you would get downloading and paying yourself at a fraction of the price or free, that becomes one of the biggest hurdles to getting people to buy, correct? It It, it is. The, the price is definitely. I, I actually... Yeah. The the price of media is kind of what I want to, I wanted to go. I think that uh, it, it is a very common sentiment for the media to be, uh, people will say, uh, you know, all the things that I want to buy are just too much, too costly. And, and it is in fact uh, a big, re, you know, it's one of the big incentives for piracy. Uh, you get to a point where you want to buy more than you can afford. Um I think that uh, there's, you know, there's a couple things that go go along with that. One is that uh, the the people who own the copyrights on these things just charge too damn much. Uh, wh- what are they charging? Like a, you know, new album is what twenty five bucks, thirty. I I don't even know. Well, it depends. If we're talking music, if you want to download an MP3 format, usually it's about ten bucks. If you want a CD, that those prices have been plummeting except for the latest releases uh but they've been plummeting pretty much too where you can find a lot of stuff now for five bucks because people aren't buying physical media anymore but the downloads about 10 bucks an album okay the one thing that's working is vinyl and they're charging more than they ever have for (laughs) vinyl and people are buying it because you can't pirate it 
So well, do you, you can, think, but- do you think that uh, cost is the primary factor that drives people to pirate stuff? Probably. I would say that is probably, well, it depends. There's two different types of consumers and there's one that will want everything, you know, like you were hoarding those songs for yeah. five years. You want everything and you want your own copy of it because we understand that these services that you subscribe for in the subscription model, as Phipps points out in the chat room, is a big thing right now. And a lot of people are fine with that pay one fee, but then get access to anything. To me, I've never been in any of those services for audio because I want to own the audio. I'm not somebody that figures I'm going to listen to this once, never want to hear this music again. But I do believe for a majority of people, it is pricing over the fact of the music isn't available. The TV, you know, the movie isn't available. The television show isn't available. I would guess it's normally priced, but I have run into times like the television show Happily Ever After, which was basically uh, the WB's version of Married with Children, a little bit raunchier uh, with the, uh, you know, Floppy the Bunny, Bobcat Goldwaith. It was I thought it was a hilarious show. I couldn't even find it to purchase on DVD. It wasn't on any of the streaming services. So I found a torrent because that was the only way to get it. I'm not even convinced that price is the main motivating factor anymore uh you know okay so thirty dollars for a blu-ray is probably a little bit steep for two hours of entertainment but maybe movies are still overpriced but ten dollars for an album you know i think most people if if you're you know you're going to listen to the other thing you're going to listen to an album more than once i'm not even convinced that that's really that much of a an impediment anymore i think that the primary thing that drives people to pirate things all over the place these days is convenience and access uh you know you mentioned uh, you just want to own things um and I, I i would ask why do you want to own things but i think i've got the answer here which is uh so that you always have access to it uh i i watch i watch netflix i watch a lot of movies on netflix it uh it, it's a pretty good way to always find something you can watch and it's it's not a good way if you're like, I've got to watch this thing, then it's probably not there. But if you're like, I just want to go kill some time watching something, great. But Netflix and, in fact, a lot of these streaming services, the biggest problem with it is uh, they will get a deal to show, you know, maybe a, a Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or something, you know, a big movie. And you'll be like, hey, that's really cool. I'm glad that's on Netflix. But you're like, I don't have time right now. And then you go two weeks. And next thing you know, oh, it's not there anymore. So the problem with legal content and and in particular, you know, streaming content is access to it. Um, you know, the problem with uh, buying any, you know, any anybody knows DRM content is is very very bad. Uh, you know, one problem with that is that you buy you buy something that is DRM'd where your, your computer is required to phone home to the mothership and ask permission every time you want to listen to a song is that eventually those servers go down. You lose access to it. Um, it's ultimately, I think that the reason why piracy is so popular is not just because it's cheaper, although that's part of it, but I think that it's, it's far more convenient 
to be able to go back to the model that humanity has had for the vast majority of its existence, the, the model of you trade something and now you have it and get away from the license model that says, oh yeah, you now have a, a limited time license to own this thing and use it only under the, the situation that I specify. It, we, we've not had anything else in commerce where the person who sells you something has the ability to not only tell you what to do with it or when you can watch it or when you can enjoy it, but also to actually mechanically restrict that. And that I think is why piracy is a huge backlash against copyright and against, against the, the modern concept that you never own any of your content anymore. Even if you pay for it, you don't own it. You now have a license to it, which can be revoked and often is. Well, and even if it's not revoked, the digital concept the moving to digital from physical made another big change, which was back in the day. Again, I bought a lot of music and whether that was on cassette LP or CD or any of these other formats, like uh, super audio CD and all this, which really didn't make it. And some of those did have DRM and there was for a while kids, there was DRM on CDs and it was a total, uh, total kludge. It didn't really work out, but moving to digital, you've changed the game in the fact where if I bought a CD, and I put it in my player and I listened to it and I said, you know what? This CD really sucks. I just spent 20 bucks on it, 15 bucks, whatever it was. I could go find a sucker and sell it to them for 10 bucks, maybe, and yeah. recoup some of my money. You know, Digitally, called, you can't do that. That's called, yeah, that's called economics. That's called first sale doctrine. That is the way that humans have traded goods forever. And, and like I said, the, the digital licensing model is completely subverting that. Uh, I, you know, one place where DRM runs rampant and this just drives me up the wall. But again, I guess there there's not piracy there. So maybe that's why uh, is I, I do console gaming occasionally and uh, somewhere along the line with the current generation of console gaming, uh, the very idea, uh, you know, not piracy isn't a thing in the console gaming market anyway, because it's so strict restricted. But now there's no resale market. You can't even go to GameStop and buy a used game hardly anymore. Why? Because everybody is buying their games digitally. Even when, even when you go out and buy a box that used to contain a copy of the game on shiny disc. Nowadays, a lot of times you buy that and all it's got is a digital download code in it. And <laughs> it's, so you, you go out and like, there's a lot of places where you go into the game store and you buy a box that used to have a disc in it. And now the disc just has a card that has a code and you use that code and you go download your copy of the game. And, oh, it's, you know, well, actually here's, here's one place where part of the reason piracy is not there is because it's actually kind of convenient. You're like, okay, I'll download digitally to my hard drive and then I can run it anytime I want. I don't have to swap discs. Great. Well, here's the problem, and here's ultimately the fundamental reason why I stopped buying uh, video games for consoles at all is Microsoft, because I play on the Xbox, has the ability and right, according to their terms of service and license, to if you do anything that violates their terms of services, they will ban your account. 
if they ban your account, you can't log in. If you can't log in, not only does it mean that you can't do online gaming, but it also means that you have now lost access to every digital download you've ever paid for. And you're not getting that money back. (laughs) All of your game library is just straight gone. Microsoft is not the only people that do this. If if you have a huge Apple Music library and well, actually, Apple Music isn't DRM anymore. So but if you have a large library that's DRM, then if your account gets canceled for any reason at all, everything you've ever paid for is just completely inaccessible. Uh, Steam. I think Steam library is very similar, but I'm sure there is such a there's an easy way to contact the company and and make your case to try to get your stuff back. (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. That may be the loudest reaction we've gotten from you here in the 36 episodes of Grumpy Old Ben's. Unlike Google, Microsoft actually does provide a means of appealing, which is uh, you know is hilarious. Google is like, uh, yeah, you got your content taken down on YouTube. Well, um, go ahead and uh, send a message to fuck.you. <laughs> we'll get right back to you. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft, if if you have if something happens on Xbox, you get a, a suspension, a ban, whatever, and you think that it was not warranted, you can go post on their forum at Xbox.com and then they'll get back to you. Maybe. But usually the way they get back to you is, yeah, we reviewed this and uh you're still fucked. Yes, we find you did what we originally said you did because we said it and we can't be wrong. So, yeah. ha. So there's yeah. and and I mean ultimately what it is is it is a some people who have the technological ability to deprive you of shit you've paid for uh at their sole discretion using a process that has zero transparency and almost no chance for appeal. And I I can't get a you, the the fact that you you can have your entire library taken away that's a pretty damn good reason to go yeah i don't really want to go through the legitimate channels cuz the legitimate channels are fucking rigged yes yeah there and these places can go out of business they can find that you didn't adhere to their terms of service and yank what you yeah. purchased from them which oh, going should out of be business, illegal going out of uh, msn music went out of business uh, several years ago, everybody who had ever purchased songs from MSN music, all four people, um, lost their entire libraries because that library was DRM from day one. It was, it, it was, it was those fun digital downloads that you could only play in windows media player. Well, that's always fun. Well, and you remember the, the biggest big brother story when it comes to DRM content and your device showing that you don't own the content. You remember when there was a problem with licensing for George Orwell's 1984, I believe, or was it Animal Farm? It was one of the Orwell books it, it on was, Kindle. It was 1984, and Amazon reached out into everybody's Kindle and took the book away. And people went nuts, rightfully well, so. It, it, was, it was a fantastic coincidence that it happened to be that book, but it also, it, yeah, it did. It indicated you know, Amazon is another place. Your Kindle library, assuming you use it the way that Amazon wants, your Kindle library is a large DRM library. If for any reason Amazon decides to shut that down or you 
whether you do, whether legitimately or not, you they claim you violate their terms of service and decide to disable your account. Everything you've ever bought in your library is gone. That is not acceptable. But it's the way that these marketplaces go these days, which is why a a, a rational person and me have kind of decided <laughs> that we don't really want to get in on that. I'm sure Amazon is curious why I've purchased uh, four or five Kindles over the years and have never purchased a book from them to read on the Kindles. But hey, because the Kindles are really, really nice devices for reading. Yeah, they are. I used to read a lot more, of course, before losing the vision and the one eye, but they were easy. You'd go, you grab a caliber, the nice open source free software, get your books anywhere you want and just load up the device. Never saw the need while that was great well, hardware if, if you're if you're if you have uh, it's perfectly acceptable to buy things from amazon but the first thing that i would recommend uh again using caliber is uh go strip the drm off yeah that that's a thing and you really need to do that because uh it and we we need to make the distinction between uh the legal aspects of piracy which is that it's not legal you you need to do exactly what the company tells you uh or else you're violating the law and the ethical aspects of piracy which are much more gray area and don't tend to swing in the direction of the giant corporations in my opinion and one of the things that has come about because of piracy even though they maybe have never said this directly is this new model of the all you can eat whatever it is and that falls into netflix and hulu for movies and television it falls into all the different audio streaming services and i believe and you can tell me what you think but i believe that the overall quality of the product has gone down i don't see music has gotten better because of these streaming services over having people buy individual albums are are you are you referring to the audio quality or are you referring to the songs being all auto-tuned shit these days <laughs> mainly i mean i don't think most the technology is there that the audio quality is still pretty good even on really bad music so i'm talking mainly that the overall content creators and the overall quality of the products have gone down and there's there's two ways there was a uh, a place called the Technology Policy Institute that I found online, a bunch of articles on piracy. And they looked at it from a couple of different ways. One, which was, does piracy cause consumer harm? And the other was, does piracy actually hurt sales? And I thought it was interesting because they went and actually looked for papers from uh, people that actually have studied this seriously. And while they did find some people that, oh, well, yeah, you could see that if piracy went up, it was something like by 0.6%, then sales went down 1%. But there was a lot of legitimate sources that were going, we can't make any correlation between piracy lowering sales. Because a lot of this stuff, if the stuff is crap, nobody's buying anyway. There's there's a couple of dynamics that that the way that piracy affects a market for uh, a piece of work. Uh, one, the the most obvious one, and the one that uh, any any uh, bean counter can immediately see is that if somebody pirates something, then their incentive to purchase it goes way down uh, because they already have it. Um, but 
there's a couple other dynamics. And uh, one is that if somebody pirates two tracks off of an album and really likes both of them, then it turns out their chance of wanting to purchase the whole album goes up immensely. And a lot of people do not everybody, certainly not everybody. Uh, but you know, at the same time, it's, it's really tempting if you are the, the copyright holder to look at every single instance of piracy is a lost sale. And that is just flat not true. There are a lot of people who are going to pirate things who would never buy it. And they would probably do like me, which is, you know, if it didn't come free, I'd be like, I, I don't need it. Um, I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I, I have, you know, my approach to uh, modern music these days is not, oh, I, I don't want to buy music, so I'm just going to pirate it. My approach to modern music these days is, eh, I don't need modern music. Uh, somebody once asked me, uh, and, and this, this goes to the, your, your quality argument. Somebody once asked me, uh, when, back when I was in high school, in fact, so this is back during the eighties and nineties, uh, things, things never change. Um, they said, why, why do you listen to classic rock when everybody around you is listening to, you know, top 40 modern stuff? And I said, well, all the modern stuff is crap. They're like, but, but it's modern. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> and, and you know, that's a, the, the, all the modern stuff is crap argument. First of all, it's subjective. It might not be to your taste. Personally, uh, I, I want to go stab my eardrums out whenever I hear something fucking auto-tune come on. That's, that's a personal taste argument. And frankly, my opinion happens to be right there, but we're old. Um, but even, even if, you know, adjusting for tastes in music, there's a simple, uh, mathematical statistical fact which is uh when you take all of the best songs from the last three months that have come out and compare it to all of the best songs from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s um well there's a lot more songs in that former category uh, or in the the last there are a lot more and once you filter for sturgeon's law if you want to fill up a top 40 radio station, you are going to have the maybe one or two songs that have come out in the last six months that were really good and a half dozen songs that were mediocre in the last six months that came out. And then the rest of your station has to be filler garbage because you're just what came out. But when you have all of the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s to choose from, you can choose only those songs that were fucking amazing. And then you make your whole station out of that. Of course, I'd rather play the music from the larger era. And then, of course, you know, you get listening to classic rock and you're like, well, this is what music should sound like. And then somebody comes out doing some kind of auto-tuned hip hop bullshit. And you're like, I don't need this anymore. Roll up your window and gun and pa pass the stoplight. Hey, well, that's why on the Rock and Roll pre-show, we have music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You, you take the best of what's there, which is great when you own it because you know it's always going to be there, which is a, a big plus of that because if you can't get your hands on it, and there's nothing worse than hearing a song and having it on your streaming service and going back and it's no longer there. But I think when it comes to piracy hurting an artist or hurting the content creator. I think different categories are completely different where pirating a movie is completely 
a different thing to me. Because if I pirate a movie, once I watch the movie, I have no reason to go invest yeah. in that movie again. No, nobody tends to want to watch the same movie over and over and over again for months. In, right. In Whereas fact, most, with music, most sane people will watch a movie once and then, okay, I've seen the movie. And with music, it's different too, because there is a live performance aspect of it, which means if I pirate the latest Taylor Swift record and I really like it when she comes to town, I might go see her show in front row tickets. The last time she was here, face value were 1500 bucks. So she's making some money when it comes to Holy the mother uh, of God, <laughs> the ticket sales. And, and she's not alone. I mean, there's been a lot of artists where I've seen tickets down front going in the multiple hundreds range, which it really kind of freaks me out. And what's even worse is Ticketmaster on a lot of these now is using a sliding scale, which is just dickish in so many different ways, but has nothing to do with piracy, but just on a a little side rant, which I know is usually the Bemrose specialty, that ticket, when it goes on sale, the minute tickets go on sale, that front row ticket, 1500 bucks. If it hasn't sold like a week or two later, it could be a thousand. You know, by the time the concert rolls around, if that seat's still there, you could probably buy it for a couple of hundred bucks. And I find that to be horrible and and kind of uh, well, not kind of. I find that to be a very unfair way to deal with the concept. And I remember, I like the old days. We're old. I know we always push back to that, but I like the days where if you went and you slept out and you waited and you were first in line for tickets, you got the best damn ticket. And they were all pretty much the same. There were, there were times, even these big venues, every ticket was the same price. Didn't matter if you had the best seat or you had the worst seat. But when it comes to an artist like that being harmed by their albums being pirated, I mean, Taylor Swift right now is going through a huge kerfuffle with the people that own her old record label now because they, they own the rights to her original masters and she wants to re-record them, which I think is just an idiotic thing. Which which wouldn't be an issue if copyrights were only five years. Just mentioning. We can talk about that in in a minute because I know you really believe in the the copyright five-year thing, even though you just made it up at one point and have just never changed your mind. But music artists are different because, one, they make money when people go to the shows. Overall, and this has been the way it's been for decades, musicians make way more money on you going to see them in concert buying a t-shirt than they do with you buying their records. So this is an interesting thing when you look at it. I work for a couple of different country music artists. I know the way the business works. And if you were an average artist, you were lucky to be making 80 cents per album cassette CD sold. If you were an established artist that was able to renew your you know, contract, I mean, Garth Brooks now can charge whatever the hell he wants. You could make more than that. You can make maybe up to a buck fifty an album, and that is that is it. So I mean, you look at the amount. You know, you're talking a fifteen dollar CD. The artist is lucky to see a buck of that. The record labels who's making the money, and if you buy a T-shirt from your favorite artist, they're making way more than a buck because they're selling it direct most of the time, and there's a lot less. Uh, there's a lot less in the food chain between you and them. There's another level of inequity in in the music business that you you keep talking about Garth Brooks and Taylor Swift, which are uh, they are the, the kind ones. of people who can who can demand high prices like I want a buck eighty out of my fifteen dollar album. Uh, the 
those are not the average artist. Those are the breakout superstar artist. And it, it's what everybody who gets into music wants to be that person. But let's face it, the average musician is somebody who is, uh, if they are really lucky, if they can support themselves in a van going from gig to gig in bars uh, from city to city. And the most of them are people who probably haven't given up their day job. They just take a, a bit of a leave when they need to go on the road to ply their craft. The average artist uh, is not bringing in all of the money. the The industry, the music industry, the the copyright music industry, is absolutely. Uh, they make their they make all their bones on breakout hits, and if you are an artist. Uh, chances are you're not going to be that breakout hit. And what the music industry does with people who are not breakout hits is they will chew them up, spit them out, give them a pittance, fuck up their lives, and then walk away with the rights to all of their music uh, as just some back catalog to throw on Spotify for pennies. And instead of letting the artist do anything, if, if you want to talk about who piracy hurts, um, then there are very, very different groups between the record label and the artists themselves. And you know what? Uh, all of the emotional pleas of, oh, you're stealing, which you're not, or you're denying somebody their money. I have sympathy for the artist. I do not have sympathy for the record labels. Well, that's understandable because as you say, there, there isn't any quality in the way the system is set up. I mean, we know you have the voice of Pavarotti. So let me just say this. I write a song and I say, Ryan Bemrose, record this song for me. You record it. It becomes the biggest hit in the land. It's played a billion times on radio and television and all this. Do you know what you profit every time something is played on the radio or on a television? Well, uh, let's see. Since all of my experience is in uh, not in music and not in copyrighted works, that means that I would have done a work for hire. So I'd be paid like any normal human a fixed fee for creating it, which means uh, on a per play basis, I'd get um, nothing. Oh, yes. wait, that's not you how get, things work get- in music. In music, for it- some reason, people have a right to work once and then get paid indefinitely for having worked once. Uh, uh, so what, what is your answer to what you get every time that song's played on the radio? Well, I, I, if, if music worked like every other industry ever, no, but I'm my just point asking is, you in the reality, oh, what is the way it's set up? Well, it depends on the contract, but I, I would guess it would be in pennies. I don't know. I've never signed one of these it contracts. Is, it is zero. The okay. songwriter is the only person that profits when a song's played on the radio, not the artist performing the song. So even the Garth Brooks and Taylor Swift, unless okay. they wrote the songs, which Garth doesn't really, Taylor has, but they get, if you're not the songwriter, your song could get played every second of every day on every radio station and you get nothing. Okay. The songwriters are making the money because they're the ones that wrote the song. They're so, the creators. So the injustice I'm supposed to identify is that the songwriter is getting the song. Like I, we've already I, I been don't over. know if it's an injustice, but that's just the way the system is. Yeah. And, and the, the system is, is terribly broken in that copyright is the only industry in the modern world where you can work once and then 
continue to get paid for the same work that you already did until the day you die. That, that doesn't work in construction. It doesn't work if you're a janitor. It doesn't work anywhere else. You can't, you can't go to your janitor job and say, I cleaned the shit out of that bathroom. I did a really, really good job. And in fact, I think you should just keep paying me because of that one time that I cleaned the bathroom really well. That's, that's not how it works anywhere else. So I don't have a hell of a lot of sympathy for copyright where for some reason, uh, people are somehow entitled to royalties from something that they did before. It's like, you, you know, okay, that's great. You, you put out a really good song 10 years ago, but what have you done for me lately? I don't know. What have you done? But yes, net, net, if they write the songs that make the whole world sing, that actually was a song written by my buddy, Bruce Johnston, who I've talked about in the past playing Pac-Man with him. He was a guy in the beach boys. He wrote that song that Barry Manilow covered. And I'm sure other people's uh, people have covered. So, but Bruce Johnston is the one that gets paid every time that song is played on the radio, but let's talk about uh, uh, Darth, the length of copyright. Uh, Darth radar points out that it depends on your contract, which is absolutely correct. Uh, and, and if your contract says you should, you know, that I can uh, clean a bathroom once and then get paid for it indefinitely, then uh, fuck. Yeah, I would take that. Um, this isn't about the contractual terms though. Um, I, I am talking in, in my previous rant more about what is in my opinion, ethically justified. I don't think that I don't think that copyright should be exceptional that I don't think it's ethically justified that somebody should be able to do work once and then get paid for it indefinitely. Now, if you sign a contract with, if, if but person the money a, is coming in indefinitely, well, I don't think it should be either, but that, that leads into your, the, the conversation you were about to start, which is terms of copyright five yes, years for, for what it should be. Um, copy. Let me just read this. I forget even where I clipped this from. So uh, if it's you, uh, I'm sorry. Um, copyright gives a creator of an original work control of his creation. The copyright holder has the exclusive right to reproduce and distribute the work, prepare derivative works, show or perform the work in public and publicly play recordings of the work for works published after 1978. Copyright lasts for 70 years after the death of the author. In the case of anonymous works, which I don't know, how would that even uh, work? Uh, or works paid for under contract, it lasts 95 years after the publication of the work or 120 years after its creation, whichever comes first. Works published yeah. before 1923, copyright has expired and the works are in the public domain. That's, for works published between 1923 and 1978, the works status depends on many factors and it may or may not be protected so let me ask you that that's a lot of words to, to say indefinitely by the way <laughs> well let me just ask you then you, you're talking about five years but when does that start if i just wrote a song and i just finished writing the song today when does the copyright on that song begin um i don't know when when it begins uh i'm, I'm when not, is that i mean you're making the case for five years so when does the copyright begin well i i I think that the solid case I'm making is that this this indefinitely hundred and plus years thing is complete bullshit, because in that term, you can, you know, in a in hundred years, you can buy legislation like Disney does to get it extended and extended. And eventually they're just going to have carved up the entire public domain into a series of little fiefdoms. And you won't be able to participate in culture without paying a few pennies here and a few pennies there to for the words you've chosen. 
but that's fine. But say a song is completed by a song. Well, that's why today. we have piracy. We have piracy when does, because when is, does that time begin? That's what I want to know. How do you figure this out? We because we, we have I can piracy finish writing a song today because, because and then it's are, not released. You're saying if you know if I wrote this today and you're saying for five years. Okay, so I write a song today and you say, well, the copyright should be for five years, but nobody decides to record the song for five years. And five years later, you know, Garth Brooks records it and it becomes something that would make a billion dollars. But since nobody recorded it in that first five years, then you're like, well, then it shouldn't be worth anything. So I need to find out in your world, if you write a song or you write a book, when does the copyright begin? If you're saying it's going to last five years, when does it actually begin? Is it when the work is finished? Is it when it's published the first time by anybody? How does this work? Sure. You're you're trying to pin me down into hypothetical and I'm not really sure what kind of trap you're setting here. No, it's not a hypothetical. I want to know what you would change this to. Go ahead. I mean, if it's going to be five years, when does it start? It doesn't matter. First of all, with the the vast majority of works, you nobody knows about it when you write it. And when you publish it, it's usually within a couple months. And so the timetables aren't particularly different. Uh, you know, you, you write it, you record it, you publish it all within a span of a couple months. And so it, it's not a significant difference, whether you happen before or after um, the, if, if you write something and then you wait 20 years to publish it, then uh, how the fuck do you know? Um, and, and finally, um, if I go and write something and I don't make my money on it because I, I wrote something and then I sat on it and decided not to monetize it. Whose fault is that? I, if, if I write something and, uh, on, you know, under your hypothetical, it, you know, five years, but I wasted two because I, I wrote it out and then I stuck my thumb up my ass and went, nah, I don't really want to put this out. And then I only, maybe I only get three years. Okay. Um, uh, whose fault is that? Are, are you, are you trying to justify that we need to go back and say, Oh, oops, I'm sorry. You forgot the basic rules of economics and didn't take advantage of a market when you could. And so we're going to go back and, uh, try to give you more. That's not how markets work. Um, if I also not about the economics, because something that might be popular today might not be popular in five years and something in five years might not be popular today or write something new thus you're saying that people don't have control over their own work which doesn't make any sense or if you're to talk about rewriting so it's like okay so i have a copyright i wrote a book and nobody bought it for 10 years and then all of a sudden it becomes popular for whatever reason i mean that it happens i mean you see this all the time you know somebody popular oprah you know my book's been out there for 10 years Nobody ever bought it. Five people, family, friends, you know, the way it usually goes for struggling authors. And then Oprah finds it 10 years later and a billion people buy it. You're saying the person that originally wrote it still deserves nothing, even though they've made nothing on it in their entire life. They was never popular before. Now it's selling. They don't deserve the money for their work. Well, let's let's not fixate on the 10 years part. Uh, What would you do if I if I tweaked the hypothetical slightly and said, uh, uh, there was uh, the the world's greatest work was suddenly discovered in a Civil War tomb that had been written in uh, 1861 and turns out to be the most wildly popular thing ever. And it's 
it's 150 years older. My math is hard. Um, do you think that the people who wrote that deserve money? Because well, I would be argue. So, no, I mean, the original, what the way copyright is now, they would be dead. Okay. And, uh, when you, the timing but, that but you're actually family, coming up with is before that well yeah but that's still there's, then, there's uh, lots of people who know that it was there, there's we know lots it was of people finished. who write know works the and then their family collects money indefinitely the copyright on things is n- normally referred to as when things a work is finished so we know the work was finished back in the 1800s we know the original author's dead and we know that at least 70 years have pu- you know gone so yeah no that's public domain okay well, if but that's copyright, by the actual laws co- around the book. So if copyright is five years long and Oprah writes something and it languishes and nobody gives a shit for 10 years and then it becomes popular. Well, fuck you, Oprah. It's in the public domain that if 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 we're readjusting copyright, then that's so basically you're saying people shouldn't be compensated for the work. I'm saying that if people are going to do the work, then they need to come up with a way to get compensated when they do the work. Otherwise, you're doing work for free. Kind of like when we do this podcast without any executive producers. Where are are we expecting that anybody who listens to episode 34 of Grumpy Old Ben's is going to owe us money be in 2 years because they listen to it when no, we, we did the work. We didn't get paid. That's how it works. Um, it, that's if, not actually true. When you look at the value for value model, because I'm sure there are people that are just finding no agenda today who are going back through those old episodes who are being uh, coming in and, and then and if donating wants, because they're listening to those episodes that are 10 years old. So those are still generating revenue. Well, and I absolutely appreciate if people are willing to do that because I think that that's a fantastic idea and Grumpy Old Ben's deserves it. I also believe that if somebody wants to go out and voluntarily help Oprah purchase her 17th house, then they have the right to do that. I if There is it, a lot of Oprah hate going on in the troll room right now. <laughs> we neither condone I, nor deny the Oprah hate. So you are you are framing the entire discussion in the terms of a particular work of you know creative work or something and I I'm going to go back to the same philosophy that I have with books with movies with TV shows with websites uh do you do you remember me telling you when when I'm running uh I'm I'm visiting websites with no script and uh, there's a site that just doesn't load at all because the entire site requires JavaScript to load. I don't go out and and make a big deal about how uh, you know oh this site is you know is denying me the ability to view what I want. No, most of the time I look at this and go, yeah, okay, there will be another one. Uh, there will be another book. There will be another movie. There, you you are. You are saying that hypothetically somebody writes this thing and it's no good. And so 10 years later, well, not that it's we need no to pay good, attention but this to happens it. all the time in but the music industry what, what you're, where what you're songwriters, they have is, publishers that are out there and the songwriter really doesn't make money until an artist comes in and records that song. Cause a lot of songwriters do not publish their own work. And the fact that, you know, the end result, they don't publish, they write the songs. There are publishing houses that go out. And try to get these recorded in Nashville, of course, in the country music industry, they're trying to go out there and get the big country music artists to record those songs. I'm just saying, if you have a guy or a girl 
that wrote a song and it's been at a publishing house and nobody's recorded it for five years. And then all of a sudden, a an artist, you know, especially of the caliber of, say, Garth Brooks, who you know is going to be it's going to that song is going to be making money down the line for a lot of people to say that the guy that wrote it or the girl that wrote it doesn't deserve anything for it just because it was written five years ago and never recorded by anybody. There's a lot of slippery slope things you have to start looking at in businesses like that. I mean, maybe books are a little bit different because usually people publish their stuff when they're done and maybe people buy it or maybe they don't. But, you know, there's there's a lot of these things where there's there's intricacies that I think make a difference. And it's, it's a, again, the case of you might have written the greatest book ever when you were in high school, but nobody's paying any attention to you because you're an idiot high school kid, you know, and you keep writing. And then, you know, 10 yeah, years later, write you write one. something that people kind of like, but then they go, hey, you know what? He wrote something else before and a billion people decide to buy that book. You're like, well, I, I don't deserve anything for that. I'm just the one that created it. This is you a really weird re- hypothetical and you're really hammering on it. But no, it, this, <laughs> because this, it's the truth. No, it's no, it's not. It's not the way things work. If if I write something and it completely flops, then I if I want to continue to be a writer, I will continue writing things and eventually I'll get good. Hopefully. And <laughs> It, like well, podcasts. here's the thing. If if somebody picks up on something that I did 10 years ago and goes, huh, that's really good, then that will translate into people will start buying things that I'm writing today. Uh, it, pe- people don't go and and decide, you know what? It's uh, we need we need new music. We need to th- you know, we need some something new. Let's uh Let's go ahead and ignore everything everybody's writing right now and start trolling things from 10 years ago. That's not how it works. If if you it is. write something I mean, good. Think about, think about what's going on. No, you're you're picking oh. out a particular hypothetical. There is so well, more much me, crap out there. There is so much stuff out there that I don't have to go pick from 10 years ago. If I want something, if somebody is writing something and they wrote something that turned out to be really good, I'd be like, hey, how about you go write me another one? And this one can be under copyright and we can make a shitload of money instead of the old one that's in the public domain. Well, I know you still consume old Star Trek episodes as I do. I just finished watching uh, Deep Space Nine. I finished that whole series in a couple of months. Great show. There's a lot of people that are watching this now on you know Hulu or Netflix if it's on there, whatever other streaming services are on. Or you could download those like a pirate. But yes. there's a lot of people that are consuming this show. The Pirate Bay is a streaming service. Born, yeah, that weren't born when it was originally released. Now, so there's a market for this stuff. Why do you think that this they shouldn't be compensated? I mean, five years is a very short period of time. Do I agree with you that the author's life plus 70 years seems excessive? Yes, but five years is you are way, seriously way fixated on this five-year number. Well, it's because you a- brought it up, and I keep trying to get you to, con- <laughs> to admit that it's probably not a workable number for a lot of different and reasons. And I am going to stick to it for as long as it makes interesting grumpy old Ben's discussion, because this is this is amazing. But it's like you got that stuck in your head, and you cannot see past anything but five years. Oh, my God, five years. You know, a lot happens in five years. People can do a lot in five years. Uh, people can uh, create, 
you you can write a lot of new works. You can write a lot of songs. You can perform a lot of songs. You can do a lot of stuff in five years. I, five years is an arbitrary number. The the hypothetical that I keep pushing is uh, that a, an item, a, any kind of copyrighted work, should go to the public domain before it has become completely irrelevant to society. And we have a serious problem in the modern world where uh, uh, the the bulk of our culture is copyrighted, is tied up. The the stuff that is not copyrighted is now basically a hundred plus years old. And so there we've had three or four generations of people who have gone on to create their own culture, their own uh, shared life experiences, all of which nobody has the rights to use freely. And that fact is the, the thing that piracy and, and uh, remix culture and uh, complete disregard amongst the general populace for copyright laws is a direct result of the fact that by a strict reading of copyright, we are not capable of consuming our own culture without paying a, a constant tithe to the corporations who own our culture. And if you think that that is correct, well, then you're wrong. Our, our culture should belong to us. And I, I'm going to go ahead and read you the, the copyright clause of the Constitution. Um, <laughs> it's a copyright clause. Well, is the Constitution copyrighted? The the no, the Constitution itself is not because uh, anything created by the federal government is not allowed to be copyrighted, which was one of the good ideas that they had. Um, you know, of course, they get around that now by uh, they'll contract out. They'd be like, "Hey, can you draft this law for us so that we can copyright it to some private company?" But I digress. Um, the United States Congress shall have the power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. That sentence right there is the justification, the root justification for all of copyright in the United States. And it has morphed and transformed and been twisted over the years to mean that all of our culture shall be divided up amongst the corporate overlords who have the right and ability to strictly control it. And the, the two things that always jumped out at me from that particular line, one is by securing for limited times, the moment that your copyright term goes beyond the lifetime of the author, then from the perspective of any given author, that is not a limited time. That is all the time. That means that your copyright now lasts forever from the perspective of anybody who makes the, the work. Any author do you believe now has copyright the, forever. Do you believe that the, the copyright should ever exist beyond somebody's lifespan? I think I just argued that, that it shouldn't. Uh, okay. The second, so what if, an, what if a writer puts his final period on his book? And then croaks. Does his family deserve this right for any length of time whatsoever? This family absolutely deserves all the money that he made on that work. <laughs> Which is zero. <laughs> well, <laughs> sucks to be him. 
But it's just so again. That's why I understand why it extends in keep, certain. Why do you keep pushing on fair? You keep saying fair. What since <laughs> when is life fair? There's all these hey, hypotheticals. This is what we're, is what we're talking you know what? about here. If if you want to know the real problem here, it's not that. Oh, I'm sorry. the The author's family now doesn't get to cash in forever and sue people who use the public domain or sue people who consume our culture because they happen to be related to some dude who made part of our culture. No, the real crime here is that you just went off and by constructing a hypothetical situation, <laughs> you just murdered an author before he had a chance to spend any money on his book. You just, just hypothetically killed somebody and are like, oh, how terrible is it that his family can't cash in on it? I just want to point out to, to the, the guy that's that's pushing your buttons and, and, and getting your ire up is the guy with 30 terabytes of music, movies, television shows, comic books and books. You know, the hilarious thing devices. is here. I don't even know how to pirate things. I don't I, I've never used BitTorrent. <laughs> Oh, do people need tips on piracy? Is that, are we supposed to be doing a yes, piracy I, show? I think we totally should right after a pee break. And let's just understand while you do that, that copyright laws in the world are different, which is an intriguing thing, too, now that we're dealing with a, a digital ecosystem rather than a physical ecosystem. Uh, they're very different over in Europe than they are here. Right. Allegedly, Darth Vader. I allegedly have 30 terabytes or 20, whatever it is. I have to, it, they, they get away from me. I have to count them up. I know I have two 10 terabyte backup drives that I need to get filled, you know, with the stuff that's on the NASA. So you got to have always have copies. If you're going to pirate things, allegedly, you always want copies. But the copyright laws, it's interesting. There is a bunch of live radio shows from artists from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s that are showing up, maybe not into the 90s. But I may have the timing wrong there, but radio shows over in Europe are not copyrightable. So if your favorite artist did a radio show here, even in the United States, and it was broadcast, they can legally release that over in Europe. They can legally make these CDs. And it's it's really interesting that they're even producing these CDs and selling them on sites like Amazon. They're, they're, it's a gray area in the law when it comes to what is covered and what's not. And radio shows, for some reason in Europe, are not covered. They're, I'm sure there are completely, I didn't do homework on what copyright laws are in places like China or India, but we're dealing with the worldwide ecosystem now. So it is a bit of a different thing when you look at it. There's a reason why. One of the most popular VPN services that we've talked about quite a bit here on Grumpy Old Ben's NordVPN is based in Panama. It's one of the places in the world that doesn't give a shit about DMCA things. So if, if a uh, music you know, record label, if a movie studio sees you downloading their stuff on a NordVPN IP address and they send a complaint to NordVPN, it just gets shredded. They don't, don't care. Worry. Once, They're not in jurisdiction. Once the one world government folks have their way, then there won't be anywhere that ignores all of these laws. And uh, and then we won't have to worry about that. And then then your authors will will get to enjoy all of their royalties forever. We do highly recommend that you pirate and bootleg every episode of Grumpy Old Ben's Darth Radar. Put it out on vinyl if you want cassettes. I know Sir John Fletcher over at the Hog Story was talking about cassettes the one day. And I'm like, this would be an awesome thing. Maybe we need to do 
a I combined episode, Hog Story, Grumpy Old Ben's, and I can't release even it on imagine cassette. Imagine how bad I would sound on a cassette tape. <laughs> it turns out you you sound smooth. You're like Ricardo Montalban when you go to when it gets converted to audio tape. The yeah yeah. It turns the, out the, that somehow the hiss manages to exactly offset. <laughs> It's exactly what you needed to, to sound good. And it's interesting. I mean, so, I mean, let's, let's point out if you're going to be pirating things online, one of the things that I think pissed everybody and their grandmother off when it came to the piracy lawsuits, which resulted from Napster and continued on for years after was the fact that the penalties were not fitting of the crime the per song copyright infringement on these sites it was uh, was it like ten thousand a hundred uh, there might have even been a hundred thousand it was uh, 175,000 was the number or 125 maybe per every song downloaded so there were some interesting cases for songs that you know again you could have bought for a buck there was no when it comes to copyright the other thing that you have to prove in a in a fair and just world would be damage to the original author, to the original creator. And that's something that's often uh, just just forgotten about as well. That's where the, uh, the number one myth in, in piracy circles are, or at least in piracy, anti-piracy propaganda that you always hear uh, is piracy is theft, which is uh, of course not true. Well, because, it's, you know, again, people see theft in different ways. And yes, net, net, I have a reel to reel deck. So if you want grumpy old Ben's on reel to reel, we can work something out. But the theft, if you walk into a store the, and actually see the only a, format that you can't get grumpy old Ben's with in is video. Ooh, we can change that, though. Somebody, somebody sent a camera to Ryan Bemrose. Yeah, it'll nope, just go on the pile with the rest of my archivist <laughs> crap. But it. it it is a big difference between walking into a store and putting a couple vinyl LPs or a couple of CDs under your arm and running out as opposed to downloading the stuff online because the original copy is still there. So digital is a completely different thing when it comes to theft. The other interesting thing when you look at music and movies and games, even at this point, as you said, is the fact that the prices haven't come down when they moved from having to actually make a physical disc of some sort, you know, whether disc tape, whatever it is, besides making a digital thing that had to be sent out to stores. And of course there was money involved with shipping and making packaging and breakage and all of these other things. Once we move to a digital economy, music should have gotten cheaper and it really hasn't. The $10 per album on an MP3 format, I think is highway robbery, being that they're charging you the same for an MP3 as they actually would for a physical CD, which I don't, doesn't really make sense to me except greed. And I'm with you there. You know, I, I actually think the price actually has come down. Uh, I don't remember. Well, okay. How many songs are on an album these days? Well, if it's a country album, it's almost always 10 because they're bastards and they're still only putting out like 30 minute records, but other bands can fit, you know, maybe 20 songs on a a CD. Well, I was just thinking that back when I was in college, the last time I actually gave a shit about purchasing an album, uh, I mean, who, who cares about albums these days? It's, it's songs, but um, I do, I I understand that and you're old, but (laughs) 
That is true. (laughs) No, no people don't in general, people buy songs. They don't buy albums anymore. The, the days of albums was when you had to, you, you know, albums were originally created because it wasn't economical to press an entire vinyl record for a single song most of the time. So you put a bunch of them together and put it on, you know, press the record or, or recorded the cassette tape or ultimately burned the CD for a bunch of songs all at once. And then people were like, well, then we need to tie all these together thematically. And, and some artists did, and they did amazing work. You know, uh, Pink Floyd, I think, did a really good job of thematically tying together a bunch of songs for an album. A bunch of, you know, a lot of artists did, but most artists for the most part are like, yeah, okay, well, we just recorded, uh, you know, 17 songs. Let's go ahead and put them on shuffle and, and then record that playlist and call it an album. And people nowadays look at this and go, yeah, but 17 songs on an album and three of them are worth listening to. And those are all the singles and the rest are shit. I'm not going to buy the album. I'm just going to buy the songs that I want. And so the, the days of having to buy a whole album have really kind of passed. And I think that's probably why I have seen the cost go down. You're saying uh, $10 for an album, uh, a digital download. And the last time that I actually cared about the cost of an album was probably in the nineties. And back then I remember, uh, $20, 15, uh, 25. If it was a really big one, those were, uh, those were that common. But then you also think if you adjust for inflation since the nineties and that's like $300. So I think the price has gone down. I'm not, I'm, maybe, maybe if you go with inflation, I mean, I'm going back to buying LPs in the eighties which were like seven ninety nine, and now to be spending 10 bucks on crappy digital mp3 files i don't know if that quite works with the the inflation but maybe it does although you know, oh, maybe that kind of fits in there net 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 brings up a really important point which is actually how we got most of our cds back in the 90s which was uh um the columbia house or columbia record club or whatever <laughs> That Join by the for way, a penny. We'll send you yeah, twelve tapes. That that was the most awesome thing ever, especially if you live in communal housing, because um, you just sign somebody up, get like fifteen CDs, <laughs> and that person doesn't really exist. But it doesn't matter. They'll send them. The Columbia <laughs> House people eventually caught on to that, but that is well, kind of they the- eventually yeah they eventually started canceling the accounts of people at our fraternity house. But there's so many other places and they can't cancel like an entire dorm. <laughs> well, they, they could they could probably block that address now. But, uh, you know, that was that was called theft when you signed it, a fake no, person no, up no, for that, a no, service. That's piracy. <laughs> we established no, this is piracy a, theft. We already talked. It's different <laughs> when you're actually taking a physical item and taking it away from somebody. I didn't take anything. They willingly sent it. <laughs> they said it's, here. Yeah, have, it's kind of it. like the, and- the, the the other thing uh, that we used to do back in the same day, which which uh, not not piracy per se, but we used to uh, create a web page, like a, a a local web page on just our own personal web space that had about fifty banner ads on it, and then we would set up a script, uh, you know, an early version of a rudimentary bot to click them over and over and over again. And we made beer money on that. And again, if, if one of these big companies wants to 
get into a really stupid business model like we're going to pay you for the number of times that our click API is activated or we're going to send you 15 free CDs to somebody that we can't even verify as a real person. It's really hard to feel bad for the giant faceless corporation who does stupid shit like that. How to commit digital advertising fraud with Sir Ryan Bemrose here on the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast. Yeah, it turns out that doesn't work if you're not in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they also caught on to the old per click. <laughs> yeah, thing. I think they figured that one out by now. <laughs> yeah, that they did. But I mean, I would contend when it comes to albums that this is also something that has lowered the overall quality of the music experience. A lot of people may disagree if you just want the song. That's fine. There's a lot of artists that are still putting albums out, out, you know, Springsteen, U2, Tom Petty. Well, those guys were, 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 you know, up until his death, of course, Tom Petty and you know, I, Prince again, were still uh, putting out albums. Applying Sturgeon's Law to artists out there. There are still people who are actually artists who take pride in their work and do good jobs. And then there's people who shit out an album every few minutes and. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, both of those people are. Uh, entitled to the same royalties forever aren't they oh sorry call back this is not forever you keep arguing the same point but if if it lasts uh, longer than i live it may as well be forever that's kind of my argument to to you but i'm gonna outlive you uh frank sinatra was the first one that did the concept album and the vinyl was a big reason for the amount of songs and the amount of time that was actually put into you know each individual record because it makes sense there have been a few albums that I have purchased that were three-sided, which are always very cool and very fun when you first see it what, for the first time, which like is top, one side is nothing. Top, bottom, and the inside? Well, oh, two discs. Two albums. Okay. Yeah, two discs, but the fourth side is nothing. You know, it's okay. just nothing, which is interesting. But they were like, hey, we have this much. We want to put it on vinyl, and, and here we go. Of course, yeah. now they can spread it out and make shorter sides and all that. But there was. I mean, I'm tempted. Maybe this would be a great grumpy old Ben's giveaway. Last night, I saw there's a company in the Netherlands. Maybe Void knows these guys. I mean, everybody in the Netherlands knows each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we, like you're, and to you're be from, fair. You're from Chicago. Don't you know so-and-so? Of course. And we do actually have a decent amount of people listening in the Netherlands. So we thank you. Multiple gigabytes of grumpy old Ben's gets downloaded into the Netherlands. But there's a company there. Those are just that the pirates. make. Probably, but we give it away free, man. So it's not really pirating. They will make an individual vinyl. It's a 10 inch, so not a full 12, but it'll, they'll make a 10 inch vinyl record of anything you want. I think it was up to 20 minutes per side with the complete cover art, color, everything you want to do for a hundred bucks for one disc. And obviously you can go down less from that, but I'm thinking maybe that would be a hell of a grumpy old Ben's giveaway, a little, some vinyl, some, just something only one person gets. That would be, uh, that'd be cool. But I, how, how much, how much I, I got to ask, how much content can you fit on a vinyl? Cause, um, each episode of grumpy old Ben's is more than an album length. Yes. Well, it depends. I mean, in this particular service, they was like 20 minutes, but when it comes to vinyl, fidelity depends a 20 lot minutes that upon. hardly covers one of my rants. I know. It, it it really depends on what's going on vinyl because you can do spoken word when you do music on vinyl, you actually have to space the grooves out a little bit more because bass 
actually makes a slightly wider groove. Well, and anything, so, and the higher your dynamic range, the wider the grooves need to be. Exactly. So for spoken word, you can really compress that. And I do believe there are albums that go well over an hour on one LP, which is normally for music, you're you know tapping out about 45 minutes. So you can squeeze more just spoken word into vinyl than you can music. So who knows? We could probably fit a whole grumpy old Benz on a double album set and th- those would be flying out the door. Well, I mean, I guess that depends on how much dynamic range we get out of grumpy old Benz. For example, you occasionally alter the the tone or timber of your voice as uh, befits. And well, my voice, not so much. I'm pretty much just one mode rant and crappy sound. So I guess you, you could fit a lot there, but. But if you want to pirate something online, we would highly recommend you be safe. Always use a VPN. Check out Usenet. It still exists, believe it or not. And that's something for people who are younger than us might be going, what the hell is Usenet? Check it out. You'll, you'll really enjoy what you find there. It's a, uh, the original bulletin boards, the original message system. Yeah. Something that still exists. Believe I, it or I, not. I ran a bulletin board back in the day so that people would upload pirated stuff. That was actually my original reason. I was like, I want more pirated shareware. I need people to upload things. How do I do that? And so I set up a bulletin board software, uh, a, a couple of DOS door games and uh, you know, had the phone line that, that we plugged in, which was the biggest cost. Yeah. I, I ran the BBS precisely so that people would upload pirated shit to my hard drive. And let's talk about the most infamous pirate site in the history of humankind. And that would uh, be the pirate Bay. Oh, How I thought you were going to talk about Disney. No, no, those are different people. How is the pirate Bay still a thing? I mean, they have gone through everything that could possibly be thrown at them. And I know a lot of people will be like, Hey, I go to the pirate Bay.org uh, and it doesn't exist. Cause your, your, your internet service is blocking them, are, which are is you, an interesting thing. I found, are you asking me how they still exist? Cause the answer is pretty simple. You can't kill an idea. Not even with, well, you can't kill an idea, but this is more than just the idea. This is like the well, they, same. They've website. also kept the name, which is actually kind of impressive. But even if, even if the name had changed the very idea that people want this stuff, you, you can't, no matter how many draconian laws you pass, no matter how many lifetimes you extend copyright past, you can't change the fact that people want to participate in their culture without having to pay for it. Right. They want to test things out, whether it's music, movies, software, and each one of those has their own risks along with it. I do think it's interesting. It, it, the last time I checked, at least I didn't do it right before the show, but I believe having a Xfinity account, as I do Comcast for the old timers, if you go to the Pirate Bay URL, it will show as not being available. The minute you go to a VPN who's not blocking it, it shows up. Well, that's not, so they're, this not is, they're not blocking the IPs. What they're doing is they're you never use your ISPs DNS because they filter that shit. No, even using a third party DNS, it doesn't show up. I think they are. I think there are ISPs that are blocking really? the yeah. I mean, you, we can do a little more research and find out, yeah. but I believe that is. The no, case. no, we don't do research on this show. Let's just assert <laughs> it and move on. 
We're using our ex- our vast experience and knowledge of the topics at hand to bring people the information they need, which is if you're going to torrent something, the way you get caught when you're dealing with BitTorrent is when you connect to download the stuff, everybody involved in that particular swarm, so the person who uploaded it and everybody that's currently downloading it can see which, your which IP usually- address usually includes at least a couple of music industry bots and shills that that are connected for the sole purpose of you know there's there's a lot of music industry people who will intentionally upload a version to sites like that just so that they can cast a net and catch pirates it's the honeypot baby yeah well, the thing that I thought was the most genius in the Napster era, and it was the, I think the reason a lot of people jumped off ship was they realized if you really just wanted to fuck with people, because th- there was nothing to do with, like at least with BitTorrent, there are hashes, and you can tell that the files that people are sharing are what they say they are, at least to a certain extent. Back in the days of Napster, I could take Sir Bemrose warbling out some kind of screeching noise. And if it was yeah. the right length, and you, I could say it was the latest for top 40 hit. Yeah. You, you could upload it with a file name of, you know, Taylor Swift dot MP3. And yes. nobody would download it because nobody knew who the fuck Taylor Swift was back then. But if you gave it, you know, some other name like, uh, you know, Melissa Etheridge or whatever. Yeah, they would download it and then be very disappointed with the with the track that they got. And this Are is you how the saying music I don't industry- sound like Melissa Etheridge, because I, I think that there's a similarity there. <laughs> I was going to say, surprisingly enough, uh, I think there is, although I think her voice is more manly than yours, but that's a, another story that entirely. <laughs> Somebody bring me some water. She used to put out a great damn show. Her first two albums were awesome. And then the rest uh, quickly went downhill, but I think she still puts on a pretty good live show, but I haven't seen her in, in a few years. But this, again, this is where you can still make her money. I guess that's in, in the Sir Bemrose world of copyrights lasting only five years she only had like two good albums but she could still go out and tour and sing those same songs and people sure. are coming to show up and uh and, you know and, the ticket and prices if you're, are- if you're popular enough you can go on tour and still do pretty well all, all of the big acts make most of their they don't make their money like you pointed out they don't make their money from record sales anyway a record um they make their money from live shows and each time you do a live show here's the thing you're creating a new work which means your you know the your bootlegs from your show last week are going to last five years with a copyright on them which makes sense yeah yeah, but well, if, yeah if you want to then release them although that's kind of an interesting thing because you're saying those songs so you have a very weird version of copyright law because if melissa Etheridge wrote a song in 1980 well, by 1985, I, she has no copyright on it. But then you're saying she can then have a copyright she again can perform when she performs that song. That song. The, if the song's right. in the public domain, she has every right to perform it. And each time she performs it, that's creating a new work. See, but once the song hits public domain, you can play anybody's version of that freely without having to compensate sure. them. And if and if she is the best version, people will pay for that. But no, they won't because it's in the public domain. So there is no copyright. Well, no, on if, that if song she, any longer. Like, no, there's a copyright on the work. There, the the. But for there, public there performance, be, you don't get paid by the work. There seems to be a little bit of confusion here. The you, you don't. 
every time that you perform a song, you are creating right. a unique copyrighted work, which is a unique performance of that song. And so each time that you record the song and sing it, you are creating a new thing that would have a copyright for the full term. That's actually how copyright laws work today, which is if you record a song and then 20 years later or 10 years later, you redo the song and it's the same song, but you've just done a new performance of it. That new performance doesn't retain the copyright term of the old one. It starts a brand new one. But the song is still in the public domain, so any you well, can't. The, the then, lyrics are, and the music tab might be, but yeah, that uh, that doesn't you know anybody who wants to go back and get the old version, yeah, that's in the public domain. Uh, that that's still true for that's true for Shakespeare today. Uh, if you know anybody can go read Shakespeare's plays, they're in the public domain. However, if you go perform Shakespeare's play. And somebody videotapes that that's not in the public domain. That is a copyrighted performance. And I guess the argument is if, if a song, if the lyrics and tab of a song are in the public domain and you go create a brand new one, if that brand new one is worse than things that have come before, people will just play the one before, but if it's better, people will pay for it. And music again, it, it's not that at all, because as we talked about, it's the songwriter that owns. How do we the, get back on the song played on the radio? <laughs> you brought us there. <laughs> um, but if you re-record that song and it's played on the radio a billion times, there's still nobody that gets compensated, I, even for that new version, because the songwriter is the one that's the I, only I one. I think you're being cr- a little imprecise here. Um, a, no. A, a, no, I, a song. I'm not yeah. sure what you mean by copywriting a song. Um, a, a song is not something that you can write be a copyrighted. Uh, you right. can you write a song today. You have a copyright. Five years later, well, no, it's no longer you, you copyrighted. Can, Somebody else re-records that. Any performance no. of that track still won't get the songwriter money. You, you can copyright over. You can copyright the lyrics and tab for a song, and you can copyright a song performance. Now, which one are you referring to? Well, the performance is irrelevant because when a song is played on the radio, the performer doesn't get a penny. Only the songwriter does. So well, that's the, the performance isn't irrelevant because when a song is played on the radio, the copyright holder, which is not the person who recorded the song or performed it, it's almost always a recording studio who is a giant faceless corporation who knows how to manipulate the world like this. Um, they, every time a song is played on the radio, the copyright holder still gets paid and uh, we can we can discuss as a separate topic we can discuss oh they we it's the reason why we can't play copyrighted works on the no agenda stream because uh ascap would demand that we paid ascap would demand ascap would would demand that we pay pay the songwriters yeah that's how it works but they also pay the copyright holder which is almost always a recording studio no that is incorrect. The only people that get paid well, then their contracts when a song are is played on the radio. The performance is under is, copyright. I think well, you're wrong. It's, it's, I think it's you're only wrong under copyright for the songwriter. So we're going round and round here. But yeah, the only person that makes money 
the artist that actually records the song makes zero. So if you oh. know Taylor Swift were to record yeah. you know, a Shakespearean that artist, song, that artist did a shitty job played on the radio. You get nothing. No, that's just how the system works. Radio, look it up. Radio, uh, when it's something's played on the radio, only the no. songwriter looking is shit up money. sounds like research to me. But I am going to assert <laughs> that uh, at, from an abstract level, a performance is copyrightable, and somebody is getting paid for every time that. And maybe not the radio and maybe the ASCAP system is screwed up. I haven't also have not gone out and paid for that. Uh, but well, if you sell a copy of that video, you, by all means, you can make money on your performance of that song. And, and but if the, the song has dropped into the, public the domain, nobody makes money on it for a public performance. Well, there, again, there's there's a difference between creating a new performance and and reusing an old there's one, not. which is. Yeah, there is. Not if you're talking about not if you're talking about that being played on the radio or on television or broadcast in any way, shape, or form. If I go cover a song, the original songwriter. If yeah, if I go cover Shameless, then I don't have to pay Billy Joel for the purpose of of using of of singing his song. And every time that I sing it or I'm recorded, then my royalties don't go back to him. I, I. because yeah, they do. Somebody actually. else performed it <laughs> every time. That, that is that's untrue. The uh, every time if it's if it's under copyright, so Billy Joel, Shameless. If that song is still currently covered as it I, is, I only you know, in our system today by I, copyright. I only use the song if Shameless because it, because I had a bunch of friends who got really pissed at me for saying that somebody else had written Garth Brooks's song. And <laughs> <laughs> you shit kickers? No, that was uh, not Garth Brooks. It was Billy Joel. But yes, Garth Brooks, every time that album was sold, you know, so if say there's 10 songs in that Garth Brooks record and Billy Joel songs was on one of those, you know, Shameless was one of those songs. Every time one of those uh, Garth Brooks CDs was sold, he got the money. Every time Garth Brooks performed that song anywhere, uh, Billy Joel got paid because it was a public performance. So ASCAP, BMI, you're absolutely right. They're the ones that protect the songwriters uh, or, you know, (laughs) they're the ones that strong arm people for the strong songwriters, however you want to look at it. But every time one of those Garth CDs was sold, Billy Joel got paid. Every time Garth performed Shameless on TV, Billy Joel got paid. Every time that song was played on the radio, every time Shameless by Garth Brooks was played on country radio, Garth Brooks got zip, Billy Joel got cash. That's the way the system works. Okay. I'm skeptical. However, uh, I'm not willing to go out and do research to try to prove you wrong. Uh, What I will say, though, is uh, I mean, again, I have worked and have known three people that had major record labels. You are far more a country music hick than I will ever be. I get that. I Uh, know the business. However, the particular terms of the licenses that have been struck are not as not particular they're not relevant to the point that i'm trying to make which is if you know regardless of what terms because uh you know for example uh software licensing um microsoft doesn't actually charge my bank account anything every single time that i boot up office um they, <laughs> they're, try- they're trying to figure they, out they, a way they'd to love do that, to though. i'm sure <laughs> and and they have figured out how to charge people per month but the the particular terms of under what circumstances a copyright is used cause money to be exchanged that's that's license terms that's contract but the simple fact is uh a copyrighted work uh the the license the you know for a movie uh the script and the performance are copyrightable 
and there's probably some other things that's that's a shithole of an industry there um for music the lyrics and tab are copyrightable and a performance is copyrightable and what this means is that the person who created the performance through the contracts that they sign gets to set terms on how that performance is used but the copyrighted work in this case is the performance and then secondarily the lyrics and tab which i I guess went into it so if ascap is choosing not to charge people money on the performance itself then that's a contractual thing but the fact is they have the right to decide that you can't use a particular recording of Garth Brooks singing shameless if if you haven't jumped through whatever hoops that they've decided that's why well, that's really beyond that it's really if you look at the case which is just blew up yesterday between Taylor Swift again and her record label <laughs> ex record label big machine is she wanted to rec- she wanted to perform some of her songs that aren't on her new album the new album's on a new record label so she split with her old record label the old label owns those masters they had the ability legally it seems to tell her that on whatever this uh, televised tv thing maybe i think it was the alibaba thing coming up there's like an alibaba concert or something which is just bizarre that that whole alibaba thing has grown to where it is because that's really a haven of piracy anyway but her record company had the ability to tell her you cannot perform these songs on a broadcast even though she fucking wrote the songs and she recorded the songs, but that's not on so copyright. A, that's that's in the terms of the contract that Taylor signed. Well, it's because they own the copyright is where I guess that comes down well, to because, on those performances. Because, again, we're you know now now we're getting into transferability of copyrights, which is another topic entirely, which we may or may not cover here. Uh, but <laughs> Taylor is is that her name? By the way, is that? Yes. I, I don't know if that's a title or. I, I guess anyways, um, she signed swizzle baby. She signed a contract with a recording company that outlined yeah. a bunch of terms, which said among other things that she gives up copyright to the work, to the song, to presumably the, you know, lyrics and tab of this song. And then, you know, here are a bunch of terms and among those terms, is that she can't do anything else with them with those songs because but it's strictly a broadcast thing she gave it up but it's strictly a broadcast thing meaning she can't she can't perform them on television now she Uh, went if she was out on concert uh, today she could sing any of those songs the way she wants to it comes down to you know broadcast is different and i agree with you it gets very it's the terms of the contract this is not copyright though she signed a contract that had a bunch of terms again when it comes down to it the copyright when it comes to music for a song the first song she ever wrote she can go and sing that anywhere she wants but if you're saying that the copyright has expired on that song and somebody else can come and cover that song and when that song's played on the radio they get money that's not the truth from, only the songwriter gets from money. the perspective of taylor swift what is the difference between uh she can't get money singing the songs because some corporation owns them or she can't get money singing the songs because the copyright has expired in both cases she can't get money singing her old songs 
So well, no, she if can't Taylor, get money singing her own songs. So if you're Taylor, it just can't be broadcast. Then yeah, okay, you you're trying and you keep year, trying to wire wanna... me down in details. <laughs> right, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to actually bring details. To grumpy no, events, the we don't craziest cover details. thing. That's that's disturbingly <laughs> close to being able being fact checkable. <laughs> the craziest thing is, it, as part of whatever whatever the deal was, that not until late next year, I believe, can she record the versions of her old songs, and she's planning on creating, which is the dumbest thing. I'm a Taylor Swift fan. There's no yeah, doubt about no, it. You think? This seems like the the dumbest thing ever. Because she doesn't own control of these original masters, because the record so, label that she was with when she recorded them owns them, she is planning on going out into the studio and re-recording every one of her previous albums to produce a copycat version of them wait. so she can release them to allegedly keep fans from buying the original ones, which I don't understand because nobody buys music anymore. It's all on streaming. And do okay, you think people so- are going to be like, Oh, what am I going to do? So she can go out and re-record the song, therefore creating new copyrighted works that she controls. I, but not uh, <laughs> if you're saying if the song had public gone into the public domain, then she again, could this still is where you're failing it. to. Yes. Just like well, I yeah, can perform Shakespeare recording it. You can record any song you want. Also, there, there's no why, question about that. Wh- why is the most important thing Taylor could possibly do is go back and re-record her old songs? If I don't know, you, you if you want to push, <laughs> if you want to push me, and you you've definitely been trying to push my buttons in this, and be like, how is Taylor supposed to live if she can't go back and re-record her old songs? I'd be like, she writes some fucking new ones. How about we add to the public domain instead of trying to fuck its corpse over and over again? Yes, Ned, Ned, that's almost as dumb, or maybe worse than the new journey re-recording the songs <laughs> with the new Asian guy rather than. Uh, Steve Perry. Yeah, I don't understand that. Stephen Perry's voice, second to none. The new guy sounds a lot like him, but he's still not I as good. I totally but, support uh, covers. I totally support people writing new shit. I totally support if if you suddenly find that it's not economical to go beat a dead horse and constantly you know, live in the glory days, then I'm not seeing how that is a a, a loss for society. Because the alternative is you go out and create new culture. You go out and create new works. And if, if I might go back to that bit I read from the Constitution, uh, the part that really has completely become lost in this overblown behemoth of copyright laws is the beginning of that, which says to promote the progress of science and useful arts. So the entire reason copyright is, was supposed to exist is to incentivize creating more things and if you've created a world where somebody can sit back and rake in millions on shit they did 30 years ago there is absolutely nothing about that scenario that is creating new things you now have created a an an oligarchy and an aristocracy of People who got theirs and now have the ability to stop anybody else from getting doing anything new because they have taken the public domain and carved it up into their little fiefdoms. And it is the reason why I approve so much of the remix culture on YouTube of people taking clips of songs of people going out and creating unauthorized new works 
based on old works because that is how culture has been created in all of human history. And it is only the invention of copyright that has caused anybody to be able to say, whoa, 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 you can't take this bit of culture now and and remix and make something new out of it. You have to either pay us for exactly that or ignore that it exists and is part of culture altogether. You're just a grumpy old white guy. And uh, JC Jr. in the trailer says, hand the f- shot I resent first. you impl- implying that I'm white. <laughs> Did you hear that the new Disney streaming service has tweaked again the Han Solo shooting first scene in, uh, <laughs> in Star Wars, which I just, I, I don't know how many times this has been changed. And so, I mean, it leads me to a valid question on piracy and copyright for you there. Just one more thing. So every time George Lucas tweaks one of these movies, is it a whole new movie? That he can then again re-copyright and uh, every time that he releases a new version of a movie with a tweak, it is a new work that is copyrighted. Yes. However, interesting. Uh, the so you take original that movie, the original you Star one Wars, second, and boom, new movie. Yeah, but what that doesn't do is that does not alter the copyright on the older works. The original. How do you one, deal with that with digital? The, the original version of Star Wars that came out in 1977 uh, is st- its copyright term has not changed. Its copyright term will still, uh, unless the rules change again, its copyright term will still expire sometime after my grandchildren are all dead. And people can use that no matter how many times George Lucas retweaks the formula. It's okay. Technically, also. When this, this by the Star way, is, Wars, is why, let's just say why Disney is you had so the five up in year arms. thing. Because well, let's just say you had this five year thing, and Star Wars has fallen into the public domain, which means you can take that movie and add one second of you jumping into one frame, and it's a whole new movie now that you can charge people for. Sure. Even though you did almost zero work, some people would say less than zero work. But that doesn't make sense. But will people pay for it? If I'm charging $10, for a movie that has one second difference and people can say, or can either pay me $10 for that, or they can go out and get the original for free because it's in the public domain. I don't have a business model here. I don't know. You do pretty well in Pornhub. Well, yes, but that's my alter ego. Oh, okay. I saw PayPal just screwed a bunch of Pornhubbers over. So uh, (laughs) the, the world of how you can get paid for your stuff is changing. And which just falls right into why people begin to pirate stuff. Um, when it came down to this one, uh, the one site on piracy, the, uh, the Technology Policy Institute on how to combat piracy it was pretty simple. Make stuff more readily available and highlight the fines if you get caught. So scare people and make the stuff more readily available. That's all well, they I got. Can, in I can totally get behind the, the former of it. Uh, again, back to our, our point from an hour ago where uh, the one of the primary reasons why people pirate things is that copyright holders make it too difficult to get legally. Um, if I, if I may steal a line from uh, uh, Brian Brushwood and Tom Merritt, who do a, a cord cutter show called cord killers. Wh- the only thing that people really want is they want to be able to watch what they want when they want on whatever device they choose. That's it. That's all. It's not complicated. It is. If, if I go out and I pay for a piece of content, if I pay for 
an episode of Friends or if I pay for uh you know episode 7 of Star Wars, I don't know why anyone would ever do that, but whatever. Um then the only thing that you need is give that to me at a you know because most people want to that most people want to get things legitimately, you know, but the 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 stigma attached to pirating and and the telling people that it's illegal and immoral has stuck. Most people would rather get things legally. And frankly, I I would too if as long as it's under reasonable terms. Reasonable terms is give it to me under a reasonable price and then right. let me watch it when I want to on the device that I want to watch it on. And if I can do that, then and anytime then I don't see a need to pirate. But the moment that a company goes out and says, I'm sorry, you actually can only watch this between the hours of eight and eight 15 PM on a Thursday. And we're only going to let you watch it on the Apple iPhone three. Uh, then as soon as you start putting restrictions like that on it, then it makes sense to pirate. And you know, that exists now there's a, I don't know if it was one of the main ones like with Netflix or it might've been a, a new service that's coming out, but there was something from a horror producer that was restricting the content only to your phone and only when it was dark in wherever you were at the time so they were trying to get which which i thought is genius on one end but also completely idiotic on the other and before this goes into a a way way long show which it already has full of great content here on grumpy old bands i do want to talk about the pricing and software piracy for a minute because software is something we really haven't talked about that much We've been kind of focused on music and movies. And it's interesting because I don't remember ever a software company going out uh, on a massive thing and trying to sue individual customers. I know people like Microsoft it and Adobe have gone happened. after companies. It has I happened. I know they've gone it, after companies. It, there's, there, and of course, I, I can't remember any of the, the instances, but uh, I want to say Autodesk. Uh, there was a big case. Um, there've been a number of, of software things where somebody has taken uh, a piece of copyrighted software and sued their customers, but those customers were, it was like a, you know, a, a specialized piece of industrial software or something. Um, I'm not aware of any situation where a company has been stupid enough to sue members of the general public. I think only the music industry, the RIA have been that dumb. Yes. The difference with software is you're running into something you don't really run into with music and movies, which is there is often an additional payload if you pirate software downloaded online. A lot of times the people that are putting these things up aren't doing it to be nice and to help you and to get you software for free. They're doing it because they want to run a really big botnet and they know a lot of people don't know what they're doing and don't have proper computer security. So the payload is something to really be concerned about when it comes to uh, pirating software. Yeah, they don't usually go out and sue well, the individual. Definitely something to watch out for. It's it's just a characteristic of the fact that software is uh, a particularly juicy payload for stacking in uh, undesirable or or malicious code. Uh, the reason is that people, you know, people download music. They know what they're getting. They they want to be able to listen to something. People download software and. And for some reason, they trust large software companies to, you know, okay, yeah, just go ahead and and bring down this 
ridiculously complicated pile of instructions to my machine. And I trust that you've not, that you're doing what I want. Well, I don't. Right. Well, that's because you're a curmudgeon, but price, I think it's also because I'm a programmer. That is true. You know, what could be going on? Price is definitely an issue. I mean, for me, I, I think that things like Adobe, which has moved over to a subscription model. I don't know if you could even buy the software anymore. I don't believe you do. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that. Um, but there's other companies that are going to this model as well, including like QuickBooks. And there's a lot of software that's getting to the point to where, hey, just pay us a monthly fee and you'll always get the latest version. And sometimes that makes sense if it's something you use well, on a it, daily it basis. It certainly makes sense if, if from the company's perspective. Well, if your business relies upon it, because here's the thing with Adobe Photoshop, for instance, I go back to a time again, world. I remember purchasing one of the original versions of Photoshop on disc. And I think it was like 1200 bucks, you know, maybe eight It was like, it was up there though. You know, it was something that it's like you're buying software and it was as much, you know, well not and now it would be as much as a computer back then the computers cost a couple grand, but it was a decent chunk of change to buy for one piece of software. You know, you weren't getting updates or anything like that. Now I kind of get, the adobe system which is if you're paying full price and if you are you don't know anybody that's in college or a teacher if you're paying their full price at 50 bucks a month it adds up but that adds up to 600 bucks a year and i'm going back to remembering paying 1200 for one piece of software photoshop and for that subscription you're now getting like 12 15 there's a bunch of different titles that comes with it so the case can be made that that may be better for the consumer, but it depends. I mean, and I know they also can give you a, a Photoshop alone for like 20 bucks a month, which means you can go a long time before you'd be paying that old eight to $1,200 per. And it, it, it just, it, there are certain well, times it makes whether sense. Or not, whether or not it's a good value depends entirely on your specific circumstances. For example, if I, you know, I, I don't, I don't use Photoshop, but if, for example, I decide to go get office and I know for certain that I'm going to use Microsoft word, but I also know for certain that I'm never, ever going to use all of the 75 other pieces of software that come with it, then tacking those on for free doesn't change the value. And in fact, charging me right. more for the bundle makes the value worse if I'm not going to use it. Uh, same thing, you know, uh, I, whether whether I pay $600 for a one-time purchase or $50 a month depends entirely on, uh, on whether or not I think I'm going to use it for more than a year. If I don't think I'm going to use it for more than a year, then, uh, then the subscription makes a lot of financial sense. So it always depends on what your specific circumstances are. And that's why everybody is given the right and hopefully ability to make these kind of decisions on their own. If there's any real problem that I have with this situation, and I, I'm perfectly fine with subscription software, uh, it's that when a company takes away options and makes it so that you can't do anything but subscription, then now you, even if the subscription doesn't make financial sense, you're, you're not given any other option, and that, that's a problem. 
Oh, there's no doubt about that. And then there are companies that will do things like, hey, if you're not connected to the Internet, the program won't run. And I would say, screw them. Yeah, and isn't every that like 75 percent of Android apps, for example? Well, I would. Yeah. But if <laughs> if your phone doesn't have connectivity, what are the apps actually going to do? I, mean, um, I don't think anything well, like, you know, I, I'm, I don't I'm think thinking like the calculator is not going to work. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking more like uh, offline single player games like Tetris or something where uh, if you're not connected to the Internet, then it will refuse to launch the game. And the reason, of course, for that is because if you're not connected to the Internet, it can't load ads. And we didn't talk about even how the differences between piracy when it comes down to the Apple ecosystem and Windows. It used to be I think it's changing a little bit. It used to be really easy to pirate stuff on the Mac. It was like they never thought anybody would do it. <laughs> there was like no protection for anything. So it used to be a free for all. But now I know they're tying all that kind of stuff down to the Apple, to the iTunes store. And you can still jailbreak your devices. And there are still ways to get software that Apple doesn't want you to get on your phone and your iPad and on your laptops. So you can do that. You're, you're more than welcome to, uh, to do that. But with all these things come risks with all these things that you might bork your device get a virus, your privacy and your data might be stolen, all of these types of things that you have to look at. But for the Photoshop, for the Adobe thing, I kind of get it. But it, for me, it is a price range. If it was, if I was paying 50 bucks a month, allegedly, I don't know if I would put out the 600 bucks a year. Luckily, I know somebody that's a teacher who doesn't care about any of the Adobe stuff. So they let me use their email address allegedly. And I just buy the yearly card from Amazon. They run specials like once a year for, I mean, I think it broke down to like 12 bucks a month or 15 bucks a month instead of the 50. And that I'm perfectly okay with because I use Photoshop on a daily basis. I use Adobe audition kind of on a daily basis. And I use Adobe premiere enough, not on a daily basis, but I I'm in on all those things. So I believe it's worth it, but there is a price point for me. If there's software that I want to use and I like the software, I think if the price is under like 20 bucks, I don't even think about it anymore because it's going to take more time to find a pirated version, make sure it's clean, install it. And a lot of times you have to install it and you have to you know disable your network and do all this other kind of stuff. If it's 20 bucks and it's a you get this and it's always going to work great. There are some there's a desktop manager that I use. And the, the software companies that do this, I don't know how this affects their long-term bottom line, but it probably gets a lot more people to buy. So maybe it's a good thing. Are the companies that do something like you pay us 20 bucks and you get access to every new version that we come out with. So if the place doesn't go out of business, I mean, you might be getting versions of the software 10, 20 years down the road and you only have to pay once. So yeah, I do get you've, the, you've just the made, financial aspects. Yeah. You've just made the convenience aspect. and. Convenience and cost are, and, and financial cost are two of the important variables that go into what is ultimately the value decision that everybody makes when trying to decide whether or not to get something. And if, if it's inconvenient to pirate and the cost is not too high and the convenience is all right and the terms aren't too onerous, then it makes sense from a value perspective to go ahead and buy it legitimately. Uh, that is why if, if you are, if you are a creator and you are concerned about piracy, then the most powerful tool that you have against piracy is to offer a quality product 
at a reasonable price without any anti-consumer terms in it. Makes sense. And, and a lot of these guys, the guy that I, guy I talked about from the bad examples, Ralph Covert, he did a bunch of kids albums and that's where he made a bunch of money, which was great. Because if you ever heard his normal stuff, there was some lyrical stuff that, you know, you wouldn't want your kids to hear. But he also has, and it's a very small one, but he has a Patreon with like a hundred people that, you know, chip in. And that's another way, you know, the whole value for value thing works. And I am, as a guy, I mean, I bought well over 3,000 CDs, if not more, in my life. So I think I've kind of, uh, I got to the point where I said, you know what? I've done my contribution to that and allegedly could just download things from here on. But artists that I like, I'll buy the merchandise. I mean, I've got a bunch of Taylor Swift t-shirts. You know, my uh, guy, Chris Knight, great alt country singer. Uh, When they come out with vinyl, I love it because I'm in on the vinyl. But I'm also in on if they have something like a Patreon page, if they have something, you know, where they do a value for value kind of model, I will kick in. I'll buy their t-shirts. I I figure that's my way. If I download the stuff, knowing again, if you have a normal record deal, they're seeing a buck that if you download the stuff and you like it, go support that artist in a different way. And that way they'll get to keep making music or whatever they're doing. Do you think that it's justified? Uh, and, and this is just a hypothetical and this might be a whole new conversation. Uh, do you think it's justified and, and legitimate to pirate something that you've already paid for? Oh yeah. And I have over and over again. I no, mean, I'm asking the wrong the, fucking person. That is a great <laughs> hypothetical and ethical question that you're like, well, yeah, cause it was, I was justified to pirate it when I didn't pay for it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely, but I mean, I know this is where people, this is again, is where a fatigue comes in when bands like the Beatles have re-released yeah, uh, the I, same set of albums. And that's exactly over. what I was thinking of is, is the re-releases of things over and over again, you know, here, oh, now we've, now we've released this movie in a new format. Now we've released this movie for iOS. Now we've released this movie for the Samsung galaxy S 11. You know, how many See, times I, mean, do you I would pay be fully with a system where you buy it once and it's a, uh, it's an extenuating thing. Well, Although again, the Beatles you, people uh, would tell you, well, we just we, we, we such mixed a everything, man. Piracy what? is one such system where you, yeah. you get it once and then you just keep getting it over and over again. And I, again, back to the value argument that that's, if somebody keeps re-releasing the thing and trying to nickel and dime, you know, the, the put out the, the next uh, version of the movie. Oh, this is the director's cut. Oh, this is the extended director's cut. Oh, this is, and yeah, if you're going to, if here, here's a tip company, if you're going to nickel and dime all your customers, they're going to find a way to stop giving you nickels and dimes. And some of the marketing kind of stuff, and I know you love marketing works and a lot of it ends up backfiring. I think, you know, again, let's use Taylor Swift as an example, because she's done a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong, including her last album that came out a few months ago. Uh, the CDs, Target had four different versions. And I said, no, I'm not <laughs> buying the CD. If there was one version, I would have bought one. And in the past, I have you know purchased a bunch of them for, you know, they were doing things where, hey, you'd get better concert tickets, you know, more albums you buy, you get points and all that. And that kind of marketing I got behind, gave them as gifts, that kind of thing. But when I tried to get into comic books, really, for the first time, just a few years ago, and it took my wife and, you know, she wanted to get into comics. And of course, allegedly, maybe can download them, get comics.info and you can download anything you want. Don't worry that 
we wanted to get the paper ones and it's like the stuff that we liked i wanted to buy from the artist is a guy named cullen bunn and he did a, a graphic novel with the guys over at the uh, podcast tell him steve dave you know q from uh, impractical jokers and walt flanagan and you know he seemed like a cool guy was following him so it's like you know what i want to go actually buy even though i'm going to download these allegedly and read them on my ipad i'd like to you know contribute i'd like to buy the copies so the you know whoever's putting these out the comic book companies could see that his stuff sells i wanted to make sure he got compensated because i wanted the work and the first time we walked in to a comic book store for one of these releases and my wife's looking at the one comic book that had five different covers she's like oh fuck no it's like (laughs) you know i would buy one but now if you feel like i need to buy you know and collect these in any way shape or form and it's like and and some of these there was one of the Archie ones that just had come out because my dad likes Archie. And it Archie was like still a thing? 12 different covers of the same damn comic book. Well, okay. But if it's all got the same thing inside, there's no reason you need to buy all of them. You just be, pick one randomly. Start throwing darts. Well, if you're a, yeah, if you have yeah. that OCD compulsive, like I want to collect them and I, yeah. I want well, one then, of them. Then, you know, then, then that is a psychological <laughs> problem you need to get past that has nothing to do with piracy. I'm just saying I'm sure if, I have a few of them. if they've if they've all got different covers, but the contents inside is exactly the same, then line them up, start throwing yes. darts and eventually buy the one that doesn't have any holes in it. <laughs> and then run before they can charge you, you for all the ones. You, that you, you did remind me. Do you remember uh, probably 15 years ago, maybe longer, uh, the uh, the anti-piracy uh, campaign like ad campaign that was uh, you wouldn't download a car. You're like, the hell I wouldn't. Well, could I? <laughs> I mean, that was that was a lot of people's reaction. Well, wait, are you saying it's an option? Um, yeah. So you, you just reminded me of that, of the the ridiculous ad campaigns that that people came up with. The You know, hey, uh, don't download that car was the big one that I remember. But how, you know, as as a part of culture. Uh, the piracy scene always evolved and, and kind of engaged people. And then, and then some, uh, you know, you could just imagine some backroom suited corporate figure going, well, we can be hip too. You wouldn't download a car, would you? And I think it, it, it was always, you know, back in the day when, when I was a teenager and in that scene, it was always, well, these people are retards, but. I think that my favorite my favorite uh, cap to that antidote is uh and and I know you don't play video games but if if you've ever played the game Borderlands um the it's it's kind of a futuristic there's it's it's a shooter where you play it on a a wild west style backwards planet with advanced technology and one of the advanced technologies is that when you need a car to get from one place to another you actually go up to a computer next to the pad you select which car you want you click a button that literally says download and then the car appears on a pad in front of you and then you get in and drive it away and i always thought that that was genius by the designers of the game because that they they created this thing where you go in and you're like why yes yes i would download a car and you have to do it over and over again every time you want transportation in that game it is like a massive Star Trek replicator. And they could do that yeah. for food. You could do that for weapons. You could do it for all sorts of different things. And the stuff just exists. That is going to change 
uh, piracy and copyright going forward. Now that we're doing things yeah. like having 3d printing and it's going to be an interesting to uh, see how that moves forward because digital has changed everything, which people look at pricing for things differently. You can say what you want. A lot of music now is made by one person and a laptop. Very little, you know, cost going involved, except for time. If we take time yeah, out of the time, equation, time is the cost, and and it should be. Well, we know how cheap it is to record the podcast we're doing right now, which is running over two hours. Yeah, and to put this into an audio file and put this onto a server that everybody that wants to can download it. I mean, the grand cost per episode is minimal if you take the time out of it. I mean, you can pay like 10 bucks a month for a web host that will give you unlimited bandwidth to serve up your MP3s of your podcast. So people have to, that's where you start looking at this thing where the no agenda guys, again, genius value for value, what get the stuff, put it out there and you don't need a restrictive copyright. When you say, Hey, anybody that wants whatever this is, music, podcast, tv movie whatever it is you put it out and say if you found it you got some value out of it throw something you, our way and if you think that the the time that you put in listening to this show has been valuable then uh yeah go ahead and go ahead and decide how much how much value you think you got out of it and go ahead and throw that our way and if you don't think it was valuable at all you can always email ryan at grumpy and ask for some money back that's yeah. fine too uh, and <laughs> there might be a, if if you don't there think there be. was any value at all, then feel free to pirate this show. Yeah, and then Give once your you, friends. and then once you've listened, go ahead and donate anyway because we're good for it. Yeah, pass it around. Get more people listening to Grumpy Old Ben's. We do have an executive producer, which is a guy Keith Von Dyke, who is on the monthly subscription plan, and we appreciate that. It shows we're doing something right, and it shows you're getting value, which keeps us doing the shows. And we don't have to worry on a show by show basis. We're just doing, you know, we get to go along. We get to do our thing. We get to pump out as many shows as possible. Every month, something comes in from Keith and Sir John Fletcher. And I think there might have been another. I may be missing one here, uh, but not that came in for this particular episode. So, hey, you can do a one time payment. You can get on a monthly subscription, grumpyoldbens.com if you got value. If not, feel free to tell us what you'd like to be hearing, any ideas for the show somebody we should be talking to a topic we should be covering i know we need the ricardo montalban filter for ryan's voice we're working on that next year our buddy gene which is working on some neural network things where you can just take you know somebody's voice and reproduce it so that could be cool we could have ryan say anything we want like the, the ultimate deep fake actually i'm i'm looking forward to that technology because it means i can even do the podcast without even having to do the podcast Right, that would be. See, then if we have an AI for both of us, we just tell it a topic and yeah. let the computers argue with which, yeah. with each and, other. And it and, doesn't even have to be a complicated AI. All it really has to do is bicker back and forth about whether five years is reasonable number or not. So we appreciate Keith Von Dyke, and uh, it, really, if you don't feel you got any value out of the show, that's cool. But if you can go subscribe, that would be great. Grumpyoldbenz.com. Subscribe on Apple, Android stitcher any way you can and if you're on any of those sites any way that allows you to actually leave a rating and do a a little blurb leave a little review that would be helpful because i've noticed shows really seem to pick up some numbers 
once there are some written reviews beyond just a star rating so people can get an idea of what they'll be getting in the show. Lie to them. Tell them it's a good show yeah. and it's indispensable. These guys are totally unhinged conspiracy theorists. <laughs> See, that might actually work to get more <laughs> listeners in today's day and age. I'm not really sure, but I think we've covered piracy fairly well. It was a topic I thought was about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, and I was a little off. Well, we're although <laughs> we've we've been known to go 45 minutes on a 10 minute topic before. You you really need to learn to pad these numbers there, Darren. Yes. If you need us to do shorter shows, subscribe and uh, and donate and ask and tell us, well, you know, for a hundred dollar donation, we'll do a show of any length that you would like on the topic you'd like to. That would, that could be fun, too. Whoa, whoa. Let's not be crazy here. <laughs> so until next time, thank you for coming along for the ride. Once again, everybody in the troll room. For hanging out and trolling along, JC Jr., Net Ned, Phipps, Do- Duodium. I mean, people that have these hard names to pronounce, I, I can never get some of them. Dirty, D R R R T Y. We always have fun when, when we do these shows live on Friday mornings, 11 a.m. Central. Noagendastream.com is the place you can listen live and get into the chat slash troll room and, uh, and interact live while we do the show. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where it's almost Thanksgiving. So we should have Christmas stuff up, shouldn't we? And from America's left coast, where we've come a long way from don't copy that floppy. I'm Ryan Bemrose. 